listening to the Tashi Station Book Club, the bright center in the universe for science fiction and fantasy literature discussion. I'm your host, Nancy, and joining me this month is KL to discuss Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. Welcome back to the show, KL. Thanks for having me back. I'm very excited. Uh, we, uh, I think you are having a trend in the episodes that you were on um, involving bisexual assholes that we love (laughs) i mean this is a trend in my overall life so i can only assume it extends to everything (laughs) i was on uh i was on another friend's podcast recently where she talked about abraham lincoln vampire hunter and i was like yes good i'm glad my calling has found me (laughs) (laughs) nice but yes you were on to discuss carry on um and i'm very excited to discuss this book with you um so uh background for six of crows i i think i just heard about this book like on the internet like you often hear about books on the internet um and i knew that it was a bestseller and um it came on a kindle sale last year and as we know, uh, if a book comes on a Kindle sale, Nancy's going to buy it if she has the least bit of interest in it. And maybe Same. one day she'll read it. Maybe she <laughs> won't. But um, I was looking for books to discuss to discuss on the book club, and I usually favor uh, science fiction. So having a, a fantasy novel was... Um, I, this I was like, oh, okay, I'll I'll do this one. That's a pretty easy. My cat has joined me on the podcast. Time. The- oh no 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 no. You don't. Eh, no no no. Oh man. Don't go back there. Don't go on the mixer. <laughs> this is why people subscribe to these shows. <laughs> you can yep. go anywhere in this office, just not on the mixer. All right. Yeah, no, I am. Um, I also usually read science fiction, mm. and I have a whole bunch of friends who are super into her Grisha trilogy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lee Bardugo wrote another, just for the listeners, Lee Bardugo wrote another trilogy of books set in the same world, but they're on around different characters, um, some of whom show up in the second of this duology. But uh, I have a whole bunch of friends who are super, super into it, and I just look at them and think, Okay, they seem mildly fascinating, but like mm-hmm. I'm not usually a fantasy core person. Like I can do sci fantasy, but yeah. I'm not usually straight up fantasy. Um, Same. But like after reading these, I'm like, oh well, I love the way she writes so much. Maybe I will go back and write, uh, you know, and sort of just check in on those, see how I feel about them. Because I've tried to read. I don't know if you know the book, the Sabriel books, which is a whole other author, but it's the same sort of jive. And I tried, and I just couldn't do it. Mm, yeah. I um yeah I I read the description for the Grisha books and I I might read them eventually just because I like her writing so much but um it it didn't grab me as much as the description for this book was um but we'll we'll talk more about why when uh, we get into the initial descriptions but first of we have to do the plot description uh, <laughs> this time from amazon.com usually i get them from amazon <laughs> but this was a, this was a good one uh ketterdam a bustling hub of international trade where anything can be had for the right price and no one knows that better than criminal prodigy kaz becker kaz is offered a chance at a deadly heist that can make him rich beyond his wildest dreams but he can't put put it off alone 
a convict with a thirst for revenge, a sharpshooter who can't walk away from a wager, a runaway with a privileged past, a spy known as the Wraith, a heartrender using her magic to survive the slums, a thief with a gift for unlikely escapes, six dangerous outcasts, one impossible heist. Cass's crew is the only thing that might stand between the world and destruction if they don't kill each other first. It's a very good description of this book. <laughs> oh! It's a fantasy heist novel, and I yes. love everyone in this. Yeah, prison. I don't. I don't know why I didn't think of. I I think I knew it was a heist, but <laughs> I I it kind of like I kind of forgot about that. And then I read when I was you know going to like pick up the book to read it, and I was like reading about it. I'm like. Oh, this is a heist. This is a book that they were describing as young adult uh, Ocean's Eleven or something yes. like that. And I was like, oh, okay, I will I will probably like this then. And I did. Yeah, no, it's one of those things where like, especially because I was so deep in Raven Cycle fandom for a while that like the whole world of other fantasy YA just sort of popped up all around me. Mm-hmm. And this was the one that everyone was like, oh, my God, everyone has to read it. It's a heist novel. And I was like, oh, well fine (laughs) i guess yeah heist novels are interesting for me because they're 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 really interesting but i have a really hard time keeping everything straight yeah um and this one did a good job of of, you know keeping everything straight and explaining it um but um there, there was another novel um star wars fans uh, if you want to read more heists, this one in space, you can read Scoundrels by Timothy Zahn, which is basically Solo's Eleven, is how they described it. <laughs> uh, it is a Legends book, but it, it can probably still fit in in canon right now, but that's a good one. So, yeah, um, initial impressions. I know you you read this first, <laughs> so um, you you can go first. <laughs> um. I love it. Honestly, <laughs> like I like I start like I started reading through it and I there's a point in the beginning of it where Inej um is walking through the town and sort of Inej's backstory uh that they'd mentioned in the beginning of the novel, so it's not really a spoiler, but Inej's sort of backstory is that she was picked up by slavers in Ravka and brought to Ketterdam. Um and sold to a pleasure house and yeah. she, you know, gets away from that. But She's walking past the pleasure house. Yeah. And there's a part where she realizes that, you know, she's done it. She kept her head held high. She walked by. Nothing could bother her. And there's a there's a line in the, that bit there where it says something like, uh, um, like, the only law that, that she adheres to is gravity and sometimes not even that one. And at that point, my heart just, like, leapt from my chest. And I was like, <laughs> I'm in love with you. And now I love everything <laughs> about this. Yeah. Um, I I loved it as well. Um, it was – the world was so well-drawn and the yeah. writing was so evocative. Um, it was one of those books where I just couldn't put it down, but at the same time, I was really jealous and I'm, you know, having one of those, I will never be able to write this good moments. <laughs> I am incredibly jealous of the way that she fl- not only fleshes out the world for people who have not read the Grisha trilogy, but the way she ins- like slots in the backstories for mm-hmm. all the characters in a way that carries the momentum of the story forward. Yeah. And it's just like, it, like 
I don't like I don't want to call it a master class because I'm sure there are novels that do it better, but this one does it so well and so efficiently. And I just read it and go, one day, one day I'll build a story <laughs> like this. Yeah, she does a lot of like backstory and info dumps, but they don't feel like it. You're mm-hmm. like, by the time you get to it, you want to know everything that she's telling you. And the way she describes things, um, just like they keep adding more to the world and making the world seem more real that it never feels bogged down like and the way she described like people and places like in it, it this was in the second book but she described like something with Nina and Matthias's relationship and the way she described it was like it's like how they're like the miasma of their emotions or something like that and i was just like i would just be like they love each other very much. <laughs> they were super cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and as soon as I finished this book, I went and bought the second one because yes, yeah, I, I couldn't not. <laughs> like I had to. I had to know at that point. I was like, "What? You mean there's two of them in? I've yeah, twenty four hours." <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad that it was that. There's. I mean, I'm both bummed, but also glad that there's only two of them because yeah. as I'm currently reading a sixteen book series, <laughs> I'm like super sad that it's coming to an end now. But I'm also like, I really need to make sure I don't do this again. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such like and like for the. The first book, you know, ends the way it ends, and the second book ends Mm -hmm. in a quite satisfying way. And I know because she has said, um, Lee Bardugo has said that some of these characters will show up in other stories because, you know, some of the Grisha trilogy characters ended up here. So it's sort of those things like we're not going to get the rest of Inez's story, Mm -hmm. but we might get to check back in or later which will make me very happy like it's one of those things where yeah. I'm like finally Barbie, read whatever you write <laughs> yeah I the, I mean the world really focused on this book focused mostly on Ketterdam and Fierda and the second book is mostly Ketterdam um, but it's it, there. there's mentions of all the other countries and everything so like you could see that sh- you could see her doing other stories or you know duologies or trilogies that are set in different countries because i haven't read the grisha books i know you haven't either but i'm assuming that those three books are all about ravka um and then she was like all right well what else is going on in the world here (laughs) which is i mean is fantastic and is what i want to do with with the books that i've i've written absolutely and like that's the impression i get and she just released a new book which is shit thorn in the thistle maybe uh i've forgotten the the full name of it but it's a it's a tale it's actually a book of fairy and folk tales Mm. um from this world so i think largely from ravka but like from other like yeah and like it looks amazing. Like it's it's one of those things that's like I've got like eight books I have to read for actual things and then sort of like I'm gonna get there. Um but yeah, so she she is I guess just sort of building just building out this world as much as she can, which I I mean, for you coming from from like Star Wars Legends Universe and for me being a comic mm-hmm. book person, like yeah, I'm super into this because yeah. I always want to know. Like, I, I'm always fascinated about well, what's happening over here and what's the backstory of this and yeah. where do these people come from? And to have an author that will latch onto that 
is amazing, honestly. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, like, the reason I read, you know, so many Star Wars books is because I like the world so much. Um, and it's, you know, even with the, you know, with Legends, I, you know, I got to the point where I was just not reading all the books because they didn't all appeal to me. And now, I mean, there's, there's, I'm pretty much reading all the books now because there aren't as many, but I know I'm going to get to the point where I'm just like, okay, this isn't like my jam. But yeah. the fact that the world is so large that you can do that <laughs> is really awesome. And the same thing I'm having with, with the Verkhozingen books, even though those mainly focus on one character, they're always, like, each book seems to be going to a different place or focusing on a different part of that world. So it's it's... I, th that's what I want to do with my writing. I'm like, you need to stop creating all of these very distinct worlds and just make one and then set all your stories in that world. <laughs> I I do the same thing, honestly. But the problem is, is that I have I have three very large stories that belong in oh, yeah, three different universes too. and I can't tie them together. And I'm just like, oh, how are people so talented and how do I become this? I know. I do the same thing. This is why we're friends. <laughs> So let's get into the plot. Um, so this, I think one of the reasons this book reads so easily is because it's a very standard structure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a heist and it's it's pretty much structured like every other heist you've ever seen or read. We get the introduction to the world um, at large with... Um, a chapter from a POV character we never see again. Um, and this is like our introduction to the whole um, plot with the Jurda Param and the, and the Grisha. And then um, we get introduced to the world of the dregs, which we have the chapter with Inej and then um, Kaz going to like have the, the parlay with the dime lions. So we see, um, you know, there and that the dregs and like how the gangs are all set up and all of that. And then Kaz is recruited by Jan van Eck, who is a merchant, um, to raid the ice court and rescue Bo Yulbayor, who is a scientist who is creating or who has created the Jurdaparam. And they say, you know, if, if it gets out into the world, it will be disastrous and you need to go um, capture him and bring him back here so we can make sure this doesn't get out. And we will pay you 30 million Kruge, uh, which is, you know, a good sum of change <laughs> and one that Kaz cannot uh, say no to. <laughs> So it's, you know, right off the bat, it's super hooky because, you know, you're introduced to this, you know, this problem with the Jurdaparam, you get the world at large, and then you get the, you know, the inciting incident of them going off to to the ice court. Um, and I'm just reading this and I'm going, yep, this is what my first 50 pages need to be like. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, like, that opening is so, I get... Sometimes I get a little uh, snippy about books that have POVs that just disappear yes. for no reason. Um, but like, I did that in my one. in the book I'm writing it yeah. now, partly because of this book. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are a lot of things that I do sometimes because of this book. But like, but like the way it introduces them from a complete 
outsider's point of view, because the shit that happens to the Grisha that they have on the Jirdaparam is fucking spooky. It is horrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. And you, like, watching that as that character who had a you know wanted to have a connection with with the grisha who you know sort of that, that it's happening to and this whole scene goes down and then all of a sudden you're you're shuffled off to someone else yeah and I'm just like, but 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 no what? go back there Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i um yeah i i was saying someone the was it brian i was talking to i don't know if it was it might have been like several people but i was discussing uh this book and how i feel like this book is the best anti-drug propaganda <laughs> like anyone has ever created don't take drugs kids you'll turn into mist <laughs> yes like seriously i was reading this and i w- it was i'm like oh my god this is terrifying and like i never want to be addicted to anything ever in my life this is like because it's basically like you take it once and like you you might be able to survive the withdrawal, but pretty much you take it twice, and that's that's it. You take it forever, and then it just basically like ruins you, and then and you like, die. And like the way they explain it, where like the first hit is like it's like meeting God. Like the yeah. first hit is the most intense experience you will ever have in your life, and nothing like no other hit will match that. Like you'll just be chasing that feeling and never get it, and then eventually, you know, just fucking disappear because you've taken too much of it. But like yeah. it's one of those things that like I've never I've never done hard drugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put that out there. But I feel like like that. I I feel like like that's what people talk about when they talk about like heroin and stuff. Yeah. I was describing it and my friend had said it. Would so-, so it's like basically like heroin. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, and and I never want to read it. <laughs> I never I never want to take it after this. Thank you. won't even give <laughs> Good job, Lee Bardugo. It Keep- won't even give me superpowers. What's the point? I know, right? Keeping the kids <laughs> off drugs. One book at a Um so once we get the introduction of the the you know the main goal, we the crew has to come together, um, and we have uh, Kaz obviously is leading the crew. He is, um, and then we've got Inej, um, who is known as the Wraith, uh, Jesper, who is the sharpshooter, Nina, who is a Grisha heart render. Um, and she she's part of the gang, but she also works for one of the pleasure houses. But um, she doesn't actually sleep with people. She's just like using her Grisha powers to calm them down, <laughs> which I mean, I would like to go to Nina and have her calm me down. Seriously? <laughs> Can you just like rub my head for 30 minutes? That would be great. <laughs> Thanks. Um. They need someone who knows the ice court, so they break out Matthias, who um, we know immediately that there is some history with Nina, um, and then later on we find out what exactly it is. (laughs) Um, So they have to break him out from Hellgate, which is a prison in uh, outside of Kitterdam, and that's sort of like a mini heist, so it's like a preview of what's to come. Um, and then we meet Wylan, who is uh, another member of the Dregs. He is sort of like their uh, bomb expert. And we find out that he's actually uh, 
Van Eck's son, and Kaz wanted him on the crew for leverage. <laughs> uh, so Van Eck didn't screw them over, which, spoilers, doesn't work <laughs> out the way he planned. <laughs> Kaz is always trying, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's always, like, one step ahead, but really two steps behind at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, um, they are getting out of Kerch. Uh, their boat is attacked. Um, so there's a, you know, cool action sequence. They arrive in Fierda, um, make their way to the ice court, um, they get there. Of course, their plans go horribly wrong. Uh, as the kids say, the shit hits the fan. <laughs> but they succeed anyway, and then are double-crossed by Van Eck and uh, completely screwed over. Um, Van Eck, uh, we find out that uh, Wylan uh, ha- left uh because his dad like basically ran him out of his home um and you get more of that in the second book which is horrible oh Um, my god i can't with violin i know um and that he uh so we we think that like he's he's run away from home and like van eck wants him back and he's been sending him letters that have gone on red and we find out that he uh wyland can't read and this is basically Van Eck's way of taunting him. Um, and, uh, and um, he, you know, he told Kaz this and was like, um, yeah, um, your whole plan to use me as leverage isn't going to work. Uh, sorry. And um, so they, they like Kaz plans for that um, by having Nina tailor him into looking like um the person they rescued from the ice court <laughs> and then Inej is taken and the book is over <laughs> and, and then you immediately have to go read the second one because you're yes! like no my daughter yes, <laughs> yes! <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in there um uh the i i i can't really it's hard for me to pick out what i think was my favorite part of the book like or what my favorite scene was, but the thing I kept coming back to is um, the scene where Nina takes the param, um, and the whole time I was reading it and thinking, "Oh my God, what are you doing, Nina? No, don't, no, no, what are you doing? What are you doing?" <laughs> I like because they know like it's 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 an ultimate sacrifice for Nina. Like they know exactly what's gonna happen. They know it's gonna be terrible for her if she does it. But she, like, loves all of these assholes so much that she can't stand by and not help knowing that she could have helped. And so, like, you know, she's just yeah. walking into it. Like, she takes it and it makes her, you know, her, her it amplifies her powers, basically. And they're shooting her with yeah. bullets. And she's just pulling them from her skin and moving forward. And it is terrifying. Like, yeah. this is a character that you love. A character who has been... uh you know, sort of convivial and funny and really warm and like welcoming of everyone and super supportive. And then all of a sudden, like a slit, a switch flips and she is terrifying. And you look at it and you're like, because like sort of Matthias's people 
uh, persecute the Grisha, and you yeah. look at it, and you're like, like at that moment, you're like, oh, this is why. Yeah, like- <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's there's such good interplay between her and Matthias about the Grisha and the Druskel and how like uh, how they think it's unnatural and you know for Nina and the other Grisha it's a gift and this is what they were made to be and there's a lot of metaphors there (laughs) to to real life you know Mm -hmm. religion sexuality anything that differentiates people from one another (laughs) um but you know and they kind of like matthias matthias can kind of like understand where she's coming from and then after nina takes the param like even she can understand why people are terrified of them um but that whole that whole scene like i i have a really hard time picturing things in my head while i'm reading Mm -hmm. um but this was a scene where that was so vivid in my mind and i was like they need to turn this into either a movie or like a netflix thing because that scene would be incredible i want it so badly like there are a number of scenes in the like in in the two books that are so vivid and so well wrought and you get so caught up in the tension of them and i'm like this would play out beautifully on film yeah yeah i i would i would i would definitely love to see it it would be really hard though <laughs> uh because they, they are all they are all children even though that's easy to forget <laughs> it, it is they spend like in the in the novel like they're constantly like oh well you know i'm 17 and he can't be a year older than me or you know i'm 18 yeah. and this person but it's still because they're like, e- even when they fumble, they're shown as so competent and so like resourceful and sort of terrifying at times. Like, it's easy to forget that they're children. And right. th- these are lives that they've been pushed into. Like, none of them wanted these lives. Like, they have had to fight for everything that they have. Um, yeah. And it- like, that's why but oh man yeah like it it was funny like while i was reading the first book i kept forgetting that it was ya and i think that might be one of the reasons i liked it so much is because i kept forgetting that it was i mean not that i have anything against ya books but like you know i i i, I tend to read books starring adults you know um and i was like there was every once in a while there was something that would like emphasize how young they were and i'm like oh yeah these are teenagers <laughs> um because kaz especially like comes off as being like a grown-up you know and then you realize like what the rest of the people in the city like the other gang bosses or like the merchers like they probably think of him and they're like this little snot-nosed kid is getting the best of us all the time <laughs> we hate him <laughs> yeah so um i wanted to talk a little bit about like the writing style because you mentioned it a little bit earlier but it 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 was so different from books i've read that but at the same time like it didn't like it didn't jump out and be like oh my god this is so different like it just it really emphasized the the point of like if you're gonna break the rules like you have to know the rules before you can break them 
and then when mm-hmm. you break them, you have to be good at it. Um, it reminded me a lot of um, the other six book we read this year, Six Weeks by Mer Lafferty, which was there was like a present timeline, and then there were uh, flashbacks to the different to the characters' lives. Um, and that was a very similar book because there were like six main characters that um, you know you met and you know the the plot was about all of them but this book was a little different because those flashbacks were conf- confined in their own chapters whereas these are basically like part of the story like they'll be they'll switch to another character's pov and they'll be like doing something and then they'll like flash back to like i remember when i first saw so and so you know i like there's there's several things about this book that, like, in any other book would drive me insane. I tried to read Gil Carriger's Parasol Protector series, and they're very omniscient POV, and it drives mm. me up the wall. Yeah. Like, when you're like, this person's internal thought is this, and this person's internal thought is this. And I don't know what it is about those books that I could not handle it, but there are parts in these books where she does that. And, like, when she does the flashbacks, like, my favorite thing about the flashbacks is that you'll get part of a flashback and then a continuation of a flashback later when it serves the narrative like i like stories that sort of build off different timelines like that really fascinates me so when you're working with two different timelines in a story to be able to compartmentalize the important parts of it so you'll get a bit of Kaz and Inej's first meeting here in the first chapter and then later in chapter six, because those words were meant like they'll resonate better with what's happening. But also like things were like, like Matthias and Nina, you get their flashbacks from their different points of view. Yeah. So you know exactly what they were thinking and how they got to where they are. And it's done very efficiently Mm -hmm. with way fewer words than I think I would attempt something (laughs) like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so they um all of the the characters have like have pov chapters and the chapters are are divided by different povs so like you know they don't they don't ever flip povs in the middle of a chapter which makes it easier to to you know keep everything straight i think um and especially because like I, i mean i don't I don't read a lot of YA books, so I can't say if this is more like the rule, but like I the ones I have, I've always gotten the impression that they're usually one point of view or just like two maybe. Um and having one with multiple like six point of views is kind of odd. I don't know if that's or if that might just be the ones that I've read where that has happened. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a case of there are just certain authors that write that way and certain authors that don't. So, like, I've seen, like, I've I've read several YA books in the last so, couple of years that have, you know, I mean, the Raven Cycle books have five or six points of view. Okay. Um, each book has four at the very least. Um, and then they sort of switch them up because in those books specifically, they're two where one of the characters doesn't have a point of view on purpose and then does in the other books. But, like... There are several other YA books that I've read that do this, but I think it's a um, a thing that that has to play to the writer's strengths because, like, there are a lot of adult books too that I read that, like, if they had tried to build this story out with five points of view, 
there's no way it would have kept the tension. Cause like yeah. that I think is really difficult to do is to keep the tension of the narrative while you're looking at everybody's, you know, sort of surround sound view of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And she does a really good job of playing sort of like keep away <laughs> with the, you know, with the really important parts of the story and the bits of the heist that go wrong. And you're like, Oh no, how are they going to get out of this? But of course they are. Cause it's the people you don't see who are the cavalry, you know, like, right. like who, who are put in a place that, that you don't know they're going to. And, yeah, and it's so manipulative. And you oh, know yeah. that it's manipulative. And it should piss you off for being super manipulative. But you don't care because it's so good. <laughs> and it's so, like, her prose is quite beautiful. Yeah. Like, I um, tend to... I, I, I'm just a person who enjoys poetic prose. I know that a lot of people don't. But, like... The way, and you know, she doesn't do it with everything. It's not overly flowery or purple or anything, but in very important situations, the way she describes characters, the way she describes the setting, um, the way she'll make you, because there are several points where she makes you sort of take into account how you saw a character before now mm. and then think, oh, they yeah. have changed or the way I see them has changed you know, sort of because of the way they're standing or because of, you know, there's a point like Kaz always wears these gloves. Yeah. And there's a point in the story when they're breaking into the prison where he has to take them off. And you sort of get like the back, his flashback backstory of why he always wears gloves, even though up until then, it's it's been sort of propaganda. Like it's a thing that the other characters use, oh, dirty hands, you know, oh, his hands mm-hmm. are covered in blood. He has scars. He like... It's part of what he uses as his dressing so everyone else thinks he's a monster and not a boy. Yeah. But, like, the bit where you learn about that, and, like, not so much the flashback, but the description of him touching another person. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, (laughs) And it's beautifully done. Yeah. Yeah, I there were so many points in in the the first book, especially when the raid on the ice court is going on, where you um you know you're reading in one person's point of view and you're just you know kind of um you know you're going along and like you know for example there's you know you have the characters all split up and each of them gets into what you think is in a situation they can't get out of like Inej is cap is captured by the her her Tanta Helene, Tanta yeah. Helene who ugh. um who <laughs> was the owner of the pleasure house that she yeah. was in I'll it's say, horrible <laughs> uh, you know I guess I guess you could say pimp for laugh, lack of a better term yeah um and that you know she you, you're like how the hell is she gonna get out of this and then you realize this has been set up and they've planned for this and, you know, she gets out fine and, you know, Kaz is like, be here at this point in time. And then you've got, like, Nina, who takes um, Jarl Broom, who was Machias's commander when he was in the Druskel, um, you know, basically tries to seduce him to get information as to where they're keeping the the prisoner that they're supposed to be rescuing um but then like 
he brings her to where the Grisha are being captured and then shoves her into a cell and is like, oh, yeah, I knew it was you. And then Matthias show, you know, comes to the window in the door and I was just like, <gasps> <laughs> I was so angry. <laughs> I was so, and I was like, oh, my God, how the hell are they going to get out of this? And then you realize Matthias you know, was had seen him there and went to Kaz and was like, we have to do something about it. And then, like, they came up with the plan to have Matthias, like, go to Broom and be like, oh, yeah, there's people breaking into the ice core and here they are and I'm going to help you and can you help me get revenge? And then, and I'm just like, that is so mean and I don't even care. <laughs> My favorite thing is that you sent me a DM that just is like, oh, Matthias is a jerk. Yes. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> it gets worse. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was so angry. <laughs> but he's yeah. like, you know, in that moment, he is because he's trying to sort of, you know, belly up to your old broom. Like, he is very cruel to Nina in that yeah, situation. Where Nina does not know that's what's happening. No, like, she doesn't know. No, like, from Nina's point of view, she's fucked yeah <laughs> and you know and matthias is there and you know she's 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 thinking i thought we were closer now and you're going to sell me out uh-huh. yeah this is not cool man but um yeah and like and so and but then sometimes there are characters that know what exactly is going on like Inej knows what's going on and like she might not know the larger plan but she knows that this is part of the plan to steal a diamond from Helene but you don't like the way it's written you're like so fearful for her and then you find out oh wait they had planned for this okay Phew. but I still hate you for <laughs> playing with my emotions <laughs> I love that like I love the details and everything like in every part of the plot like all the details that Lee Bardugo has like sort of put out there and you know from the very beginning from like chapter one or two or whatever when Inej runs into Tante Helene in the in the alleyway Ugh. you know what kind of woman that is yeah. and you know that she is very proud and that she's gonna peacock around and wear all these beautiful jewels and that they know on there and that they're gonna need a diamond and Inej is like I got this uh, I know where we can find a large diamond and inserts herself into that impossible situation yeah. because of that. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, like this feeling, like this feeling of frustration and fear and like sort of exhilaration is a thing that a lot of books don't give you. No. And it's one of the reasons I love these so much. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so, the world building in the book is one of my favorite things about it. And as we talked about, it's, you know, they she could write so many more books set in this world. Because um, while we're centered on Kirch and Fierda, two of two countries, there's also Ravka, there's no, Novi Zem, or however you pronounce it. Novi Zem. Um, there's the Wandering Isle, what they call, which is where the, the Kalish are from. Um, and of course, all of these are, you know, based on, based on like, I'm sorry, I have a cat near me who is <laughs> being, a, making a ruckus. Um, 
they're pretty much all based on real world, um, you know, they have real world counterparts. Like, Ketterdam is obviously Amsterdam. Um, like, I got, I, I was like, this is totally Amsterdam. And then I just, ha- I went to her website and I like, it had a list of the books that she had re- used to research. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and it's like, one of them was about Amsterdam. I'm like, yep, totally. I knew because I've been there and I'm like, I, you know, I only went there for like a day on a cruise, but I'm just like, yeah, this is totally Amsterdam. <laughs> um, Fierda is definitely like Scandinavia or one of those countries um ravka is russia i think um mm-hmm. yep uh Novizem, i i'm assuming it's i don't know if there's like a specific place but i got the impression like it was like maybe like like the middle east or africa some part of I, africa i think it's supposed to be like a, a part of africa but there's no specific like even in the second book where we sort of go there mm-hmm. we don't get specific place settings so yeah. i'm not sure of the uh actual country um see that's that it sort of connects to yeah that's a that is a uh one of the places they could explore in a in a new mm-hmm. series <laughs> no i agree and the wandering isle is definitely ireland <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. The way they the way they describe uh Tara Haskell, who is the guy yeah. from the one like he's basically fucking Leprechaun Matt Man Sweeney. Yeah, he's basically <laughs> Matt Sweeney from American Gods. Like it's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and he makes everyone in the like, you know, all the girls who work there dye their hair red and they work green yeah. and you're just like really leaning into yeah, it. Yeah. And the, you know they even say this at the the place where Inej worked was the, they they wanted people for the you know like different ethnicities to like appeal to all the different desires people had and it's so gross but yeah uh, that's the thing too is that because Inej is also from Ravka like Inej yeah. is from Ravka and Nina is from Ravka but Nina is sort of the you know, sort of the ruling class from that country, but yeah. Inez is a Romani type. Yeah, that's what I was. I was. That's family. definitely yeah. the impression I got. Um, I was thinking of Dick Grayson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never. Yeah, she no, was talking I'm, about being an acrobat. Look, she's Lady Nightwing, and I'm into it. Okay. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. <laughs> but does she have a good ass? That's the point. I would imagine yes. I her would imagine she does all that work, but they really didn't specify. <laughs> <laughs> she's too. She's very tiny, so maybe not. But we'll see if they ever make a movie out of it. <laughs> Fingers um, crossed. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. And um, you know, in the second book, there's a point. I I just kind of got to it, so that's why it stuck out to me. And uh, it's not really a huge spoiler, but they get into more about like what. Inej thinks of Ravka versus what Nina thinks of Ravka and like Nina has never thought about that before and she's like like she knows Matthias hates her country because they're you know at war but she never like thought about what Inej thought of her country and the people who rule it and she's like oh but you're my friend (laughs) yeah she sort of just assumes because they're from the same place that they both miss home in the same way yeah and that's not like like her home is very much not in Neja's home. Yeah, and it's really interesting because you know you get that within in real life all the time. You have people mm-hmm. like from this, you know, you've got you know just 
looking at America, a experience of a white American is very different from a black American. <laughs> and, uh, you know, other countries, you know, the same thing. Um, so I, I liked I liked that. And I liked that even though this is a fantasy world, it is um, and it, it it's diverse, you know, and people use that as an excuse you know use fantasy as an excuse for not being diverse and i want to point to this book and be like it's so much better when it is yeah no and the thing is is that like like i you know i'm on the tumblers i i I see a lot of fandom happen and i see a lot of infighting about um experiences and characters and things that are done wrong in books mm-hmm. and not a lot for these books because the way she builds out all the characters and all of their different racial makeups and things like that is very thoughtful yeah like she obviously has anchored them to real world you know sort of races and racial tensions so it's not like a case of oh well i don't care if they're green or they're brown or whatever it's very specific and it's very well thought out and it's very much a case of look this isn't a fantasy but it's still a whole world like there's no excuse not to create a whole world and here's how you do it (laughs) like like leave her go just went fuck it this is how you do it (laughs) and like and this is a um, so I, pro- you know, I, I, this is probably more suited to our initial impressions, but like, I, I don't read a lot of fantasy and I'm not very much into high fantasy, especially, um, and, or like even like urban fantasy, I don't really like, and I've, I've realized that this book and another book I read this, um, past year, Amberlo, um, they're both second world fantasies because they they don't take place on Earth. They take place in a whole other society, but they're not high fantasy like with elves and orcs yeah. and like that. You know that very there is magic in in these books, but it's a very um, down to earth magic. <laughs> like there's rules and you know there's there's limits to the power that they can use. You know. Um, which which I very much appreciate. Um, and I think these are definitely the kind of fantasy books that I prefer, probably because they they tend to be deserve diverse. Like Amber Lowe was, you know, diverse. There was, you know, it was it was queer and one of the main characters was black, you know, and it was like I'm like, okay, so why if these books can do it, you other books don't have an excuse. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, like, especially with this one is that, like, like, yes, it's fantasy and yes, it's set and, and created, you know, sort of countries that don't adhere to necessarily our rules. But it's basically urban fantasy for those countries. Yeah. Like, it's not a case of there are fairies and elves and all this, like, magic happening all over the place. It's very contained. And a lot of the, like, even though the inciting incident for the plot is based on that magic the magic is not necessarily used a lot in the course of the novel. Right. Like the novels are not about that magic. The novels are about the relationships and the places where these people came from, which I think is a problem I have driving with fantasy sometimes is that it seems like sometimes fantasy books are about the magic, which is great. Fine. But like, I'm not here to read 50,000 words about your magic system. I'm here to read 50,000 words about shitheads that I really yeah. like. So create those first. <laughs> yeah, totally. And like, 
coming from the the Star Wars fandom, like most of my favorite Star Wars stories are ones where I there there isn't a lot of use of the Force or none at all, um, which is ironic considering my favorite character is Luke Skywalker. <laughs> um, but well, like, I, mean- I think I feel like it has a tendency to get overpowered, and it's just like, oh, there's two you know video game characters going against each other, where like. And, you know, obviously the force is a lot different, but like there there are stories where there's limits to what they can do. And, you know, they're they're just normal people. If they use the force too much, they're going to get tired. <laughs> well, I mean, that's so, like it's the same thing where like I, I really like comic books. I really like superheroes, but most of my favorite superheroes are just people like yeah. my, I, I adore the Bat family. And, like, yeah, like, magic weird shit happens and people get thrown into Lazarus pits and brought back to life like you do. Um, but mostly a lot of times they're in stories where they're working against people with all these powers and they have to find other ways to work around that, mm-hmm. which is the meat of the story and where you find the interesting character development. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm way more interested in, like, Luke Skywalker as a person in The Last Jedi than, oh, what? how powerful is luke skywalker like those arguments just bore me and i'm like i want to know what he has done and what he thinks about his stupid nephew kylo ren (laughs) (laughs) is there discourse in the star wars fandom nancy about what luke has been doing in that cave for the last 30 years (laughs) there's been so much discourse and he was not in the cave for 30 years he's only been there for a few years (sighs) but that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the let's teach k all things about star wars podcast that would be amazing <laughs> um so yeah we've got the grisha and um i i really like how they're set up that there's different types of grisha and they have different powers um and like the introduction of the param is like it, it, it like basically sort of like takes their powers and amplifies it to a hundred <laughs> Um, but there, but there's a price for that. You know, you get addicted and eventually you will die. Um, which I, which I appreciated because then you're just like, well, everyone should just use it, but there's consequences and that's good. I mean, the, uh, military industrial complex still thinks everyone <laughs> should use it. Yeah, but they're stupid. Even, <laughs> even in other worlds, that shit happens. Yeah. Um, and then there's this whole civil war in Ravka, which I am assuming is the basis for the Grisha trilogy. Um, yes, and from what I've so that's I I like that they you know kind of used that as a basis for this book. They're like, well, what if this happened? You know, and I, um, I there was there's a few moments in the book, or in, especially in the second book, where I'm like, am I supposed to know who these people are? <laughs> But it's written in a way that it's not like super jarring. You're like where you, you you feel like you're lost. But I was just like, I feel like I'm missing something here. But that's okay. <laughs> no, I th- and I think especially like the way those characters introduced in the second book, like you get enough, you get what you need for the story. But I did turn around to our friend Lisa and go, okay, look, who is this guy and <laughs> what is he doing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, I know so. exactly who you're talking about in the second book. <laughs> um. So let's get into the characters, the, the assholes of the book, because I they're pretty it. much why you read them. I love them all. <laughs> they're all my favorite. 
Okay, I love them all except for Cass. <laughs> I feel like um I just started watching Arrested Development, so I'm getting all these quotes that people pass around the internet all the time. So I've the whole I love all my children equally. I don't care for Michael. <laughs> like that's what I feel like Cass. I'm like, I love them all. Oh, no. I don't care. No, I mean I love him as a character. But he is so frustrating, and I just want people oh, yeah. to smack him. And I get so happy when people call him on his shit. <laughs> I like. I mean, one of the reasons I'm in love with Inej is because she is in a position to call him on yes. his shit all of the time, and frequently does. But like Kaz, I think God, there was something like the way he is created and built out as a character is fascinating to me yeah because it's very like i mean every character and every person has a you know sort of this is who the world sees me as and this is who i really am on the inside but not all of them play up either of those maybe to the extent that that they could or should and kaz is extremely pegged on the end of well, this is what people think of me anyway, so this is what I'm going to roll with because it makes me money, you know? And his whole thing is that greed is greed is a lever, you know? Like, yep. greed is not his god. He doesn't worship it. He uses it to get stuff from other people. But also, he's a child, so he falls yeah. into those traps even though he thinks he's not going to. Yeah. And it's really good. Yeah, I like, the whole backstory with his father is really, uh, you know, is, or not, you know, his his brother um is really really sad and um you find out like he like his main driving force through the whole series is to get revenge on Pekka Rollins who is you know basically responsible for him and his brother um losing everything and then his brother getting sick and dying um and you know he is he basically like like he almost dies and that basically turns him into this hardened child who will do anything to survive um which is ironic because the last book we read for the book club was phasma and <laughs> phasma is pretty much the exact same way she will do yep. anything to survive <laughs> but i think like having read phasma mm -hmm. like i feel like even though Kaz would do anything to survive. He comes to feel connected to these people and yes. would not go to the lengths that Phasma does. Yeah, I like she is very much of a solitary person and will use people. I think Kaz wants to use people and wants people to think that he's using them, but he gets attached, you know, to his chagrin, <laughs> hence the end of the book and his, you know looking at Inej and it's he's like you stupid fucker why didn't you do that god damn it my Kaz moment of weakness <laughs> Kaz reminds me of every time I call myself a Slytherin and everyone we know goes no you're not yeah <laughs> like, that's how I feel about Kaz oh my god that's so good <laughs> yeah I, I just, like, I want the alternate version of this book where Kaz, like, grew up in a nice home and didn't become a shithead. <laughs> or Jordy didn't die. And Kaz oh, yeah. didn't become a jerk. Um, 
And like, I also really liked that he is a character with a disability um, mm-hmm. and it's frequently called out, but it is never a, um, a hindrance for him. I mean, it is a hindrance for him, but he he uses it to his advantage. Like he wants people to think that he's a cripple um, so he can, you know, lull them into a false sense of security. And then and it's not a thing that anyone ever feels the need to fix or that he needs to fix. Like yes. it's never treated as something where if only we could do this, you could be a whole boy anymore. No, he's a whole boy now. You yeah. know, like and I mean, he's there, a real person. There are par- there are parts when he like you know is is annoyed because his his leg is hurting and it's you know keeping him from doing something. But it's never like it's it's never like he's never looked down upon for it. Yeah. Um. And which which I appreciated. And I was you know reading part of the end of the book where Liberty said that she she has some sort of um disease or syndrome where she's in in pain a lot and so she wanted to create a character that had the same problem um and again this is you know like you know there's more to diversity than just you know ethnicity there's also diversity with you know uh disabilities and you know the I one of the reasons I love the Vercozigan books is because the main character is has a disability, but he it, it basically is his driving force to succeed throughout the entire series. <laughs> and like he never like is like like there are times he's like, I wish I was taller, but like he never like it it's not like, oh, I need to fix this. You know, yeah. it's just that it just is who he is. Um and then we have Inej who is also known as the Wraith. Um, My perfect, beautiful daughter. <laughs> she is. She is very She's very sweet. I want her to get away from all these bad people. <laughs> um, I did... If there's one criticism I can have about these books is that the, the two female character... That there's, there's only two female characters as opposed to four male characters... But yeah. also that, like, the two female characters seem to be the nicest. <laughs> um, and I'm like, ah, like, imagine a female Kaz. That would have been oh great. God. You know? A female Kaz would have been great. I feel like, like, I mean, they're both, like, both Nina and Inej are very much, like, scrappy. You yeah. know? And, and they've got, you know their power and their wits about them and they know exactly what to do and they're very confident Mm -hmm. um i love how confident inej is anytime she uh has to like climb something or or walk across a tightrope or like there's a part in the second book where she has a fight on a tightrope and it's just like i know and she because of the way she was raised because it's really because so many so many in so many stories like this you get people with really tragic backstories, really sad backstories, really this and that. And Inez's story does have a sad chapter, but frequently in her flashbacks, she goes back to the loving family that she had before that. And like Uh, the the faith and the strength and the love they instilled in her. And that's why she can do all of these things because she was taught that she could. It was so sad when they did the flashback of her getting stolen and how she's like five more minutes. And I'm like, (laughs) 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 yeah, I, I... (laughs) um, yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, I, I, 
I, I mean, and, and it's no no slight on Inej or Nina because they're I think they're yeah. my two. I, I love them so much. But like I was like, oh, I wanted like, you know, a, it seemed like the girls were definitely the most um like I don't want to say competent because they're all kind of competent, but like yeah. the most um they have their heads put on straight the most. They're the yes. le- they're the least fucked up. they're they're the ones who are least likely to go off on a ridiculous mission for no no goddamn reason like they're very they're grounding forces is what they are they're very much the ones saying look idiots yeah (laughs) yeah and like i mean i can take this as like oh of course the the women are the ones who are like taking care of everyone but then also you can look at it as well of course the women are the most like put together ones of the group <laughs> because obviously they are <laughs> um, like have you seen these dudes yeah um. yeah um <sighs> yeah and and the other thing was um you know the that both Inej and nina are working have worked with um you know the, the pleasure houses you know nina yeah. nina voluntarily like she and i you know I appreciated that hers was portrayed in a more positive light, even though she wasn't necessarily sleeping with the clients. I would imagine there are people are sleeping with their clients at her house, but it seemed like it was a lot more of a voluntary thing than Helene's. Um, yeah. Because they didn't want it to be all like, oh, everyone who is a prostitute is a terrible person or is forced into this against their will. Um, so you get like two sides of that coin, which was nice. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's, that's the situation or, you know, that is hard, a lot of times hard to portray both ways in the mm-hmm. same story. And I mean, there sex trafficking does happen in the real world. Yes. That's terrible and horrible, but there are also people who choose to be sex workers Yes, and we should not denigrate them for that. So the fact that you have Nina, who is a very powerful, competent, you know, beautiful woman, who says, I I have these powers, I can use them to make people feel better. I, I'm going to do that, you know? Yeah. 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 And I just, I, like, Inej, I wish I was as strong as her. <laughs> God. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, if I could be Inej. <laughs> I know. Um, And then we have Jesper, who, if I had to pick a favorite, it would probably be him. <laughs> My boy, my beautiful boy. <laughs> he is. Oh, I just want to hug you and make you stop gambling. <laughs> oh my god, I he like the way he's introduced is hilarious because they're like you know like like they go out to do this like big deal you know this big you know sort of meet up with the other gang who's trying to take over their territory and all this stuff and jesper is like wisecracking and he's talking when he's not supposed to be talking yeah and other people are like shut up like you can't yeah. just be that but he's that guy literally all the time like i have and- i have two types it's usually like the guys with the heart of gold or the snarky assholes but like i very particular with my brand of snarky assholes like jesper is like the snarky funny asshole but still vulnerable and those are i'm like oh yep that's the guy i like (laughs) 
which is he's so goddamn charming and he yes. knows it which is the problem like he knows he's adorable he and he knows he's everything. charming <laughs> he, he and nina both yes. fucking everything and everyone like there's, they're my there's bisexual a line, heroes there's a line <laughs> where they say something like they would flirt they would flirt their way out of this or something and i'm mm-hmm. just like yeah um and he is a sharpshooter um which is also hot um, but then we find out, like, halfway through the book that he is also a Grisha, but he hasn't ever been trained. Um, he's a fabricator, which kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and I was like, oh, really? But the way it's, um, you know, brought about in the second book, especially, is really, yeah. really good. Um, and I, I felt really bad for him because, you know, we find out that he is the reason there was the attack when they were going to leave Kirch. Um, but he, you know, didn't mean to do it. It was just him, you know, opening his big mouth. Because mm-hmm, he can't ever shut up. And then he basically, he can't ever shut up and he can't ever stop gambling. Oh, God. I, like, there's a part when they're on the ship on their way to Fierda that, uh, reading through it the second time, um, where, where Nina and Jesper are talking about the Grisha, and it's before she knows. Yeah. And, uh, she says something to him about how proud her heritage is and all this, and, and he said, well, you know, if people want to hide, you just let, you should just let them hide. Um, and, like, the yeah. second time through, I was like... Oh baby, <laughs> like mm, yeah. you tried so hard, and then like it, it sort of ups, like ups the tension going back through them getting into the prison because in the prison there's a woman sitting there, uh, testing for Grisha powers because they take the Grisha and they use them uh, to test the Jirdaparam. Yeah, and so he and Nina both have to put paraffin all over their arms, but you only know when they're doing that that Nina is the one in the Sutterfuge. You don't realize that Jesper is also in trouble. Yeah. And I think, like, that's that's a lot of his character, honestly, is that he's very... He works very hard at being easygoing, and you don't realize that he's the one that's in trouble until, like, something terrible happens, and you're like, oh, no! Son, Yeah. And then the second book gets a lot more into, like, his gambling issues and his past. And um, I love the way, like, she describes, like, his problem with gambling. And, mm-hmm. like, it's it's so easy for me to just be, just stop. And I do that with, I do that with everything. Like, I do that when, when, like, and I know... So many of my friends have anxiety and like they, you know, my husband worries a lot and I'm like, well, just stop. And then I realize I'm like, oh, no, but you can't. <laughs> but it's so I easy w- for me to be like, just stop. <laughs> just- I wish that was an option. I know. And then I'm like, no, Nancy, <laughs> that's not how it works. But it's the same thing. Like when, you know, when people like think about like addiction of any kind, you're like, okay, we'll just stop. And it's, it should be easy. And like, there, there's a character who in the second book who says this to Jesper, just don't do it anymore. And then he's like, it's not that easy. And again, like she does such a good job with like portraying this really complicated issue, like, especially for a, for a teenager, you know, Mm -hmm. it could be so easy of like, like, well, Oh, I got caught up in the, harsh word of gambling and i've lost all my money you know but it's like actually like done sensitively and like 
that, you know, there are people that have this problem and they just can't stop, you know? God, the themes of addiction in the yes. second book, though. <laughs> like, yes. It's so, I, like, there's so much in these books that you can call out for um, resonating, mm-hmm. you know, like like with certain... Like, you know, in the first one, it's very much about the other and, you know, sort of your worldview and what makes you think you're right. Yeah. And then having to step back and say, oh, no, I'm not right. Like sort of, you know, in this book on both sides, but, you know, not necessarily in the real world all the time. Um, But I want to. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say and I want to say like I. I, I feel like I'm kind of like Inej because like I I have a tendency to disassociate and like if something's wrong, I just don't think about it. Like I yeah. just I just don't and I just pretend everything's fine and like I I just do it because that's the only way I can get through it. Like when my mom or my mom like had a heart attack earlier this year and had bypass surgery and like it was a terrible, awful month. And I, I look back now and I'm like, how the hell did I get through that without going crazy? And I'm like, oh, yeah, because I didn't let myself feel anything. <laughs> which is, You're like, all right, I turned myself off. Which is perfectly healthy. Um, <laughs> totally. Totally. 100%. I acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah, I would like to get all of these characters and bring them to a therapist. <laughs> God. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and then we have Nina, who I also love. She is super great. And we talked about her using the param earlier and like how she's just like, oh, she's just a self sacrificial lamb. And like talking about diversity, we, me, you, and I have had, have had conversations about Nina not being skinny and how people need to stop depicting her as such she's so like like in the in the very first moment that she is described it says she was tall and built like the figurehead of a ship carved by a generous hand (laughs) and like and continues on like throughout the book because in part of during part of the high she and Nejef to pretend to be part of Tonda Halim's sort of harem that she brings for the men and Nina has knocked out the you know the tallest woman of the group who was probably two sizes smaller than her (laughs) and is putting on this slinky dress that you can basically see through but like my favorite thing is that like so you know like fandom exists and fandom will do what it will and a lot of people draw like oh well nina's large so clearly she's a very defined waist and you yeah. know a bust or whatever and no, uh Lee, that's not Lee what Bardugo. curvy means yeah no Bardugo's <laughs> very active on tumblr um she, she like reblogs a lot of fan art and stuff and somebody made a post about chubby nina being canon and lee came through and said uh um how many people do you know who think they're too big too broad too round too much i wrote nina for all of us and i'm just like Thank you. Like, I went as Nina mm-hmm. for Halloween last year because I was so excited about it. Like, yeah. But, you yeah, know, she and and honestly, like, it's a character who is canonically larger than everyone else around her. And it's mentioned, you know, like, the, oh, like, Inez is like, she's she's not going to fit through the, the grade or, you know, she's like Matthias is trying to keep her from falling off a cliff and she's she's really heavy. But it's never treated like as a bad thing yeah like she's lesser than any of them or like she is 
problems with self-control or like she's a terrible human no she's just kind of chubby and it's fine like she's seen as a sexual human who flirts everything and owns herself yeah she is um i mean that could have been done so awkwardly where like because you know you've got uh you know jesper has a problem with gambling and uh, you know, it could be so easy, like, well, Nina has a problem with eating, and it's like, nope, she loves eating. She's got no problem with it. <laughs> nope, no Bring problem her some at waffles. all. <laughs> they're constantly, like, there's a part where they're on the ship, and Matthias is, Matthias, because Matthias is a creeper, is like, <laughs> uh, she, she 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 used to smell like roses and she doesn't smell like roses anymore and she's yeah. like oh it's probably because I smell like boat and he's like no you smell like candy and she pulls toffee out of her pocket <laughs> it's like well. Well, Kaz told me to only bring like everything that was imperative. Do you want one? <laughs> like, I love it. No, thank you. Uh, I love but, it. Like, and it's 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 very like lighthearted and treated mm-hmm. as a happy moment between the two of them, which they haven't gotten. Yeah, you know. And Nina is like she is definitely seen as the. I I feel like she's depicted as the most attractive of the group, and definitely yeah. the most like sexual and the most like secure in her sexuality and like everyone just likes her you know and like there are parts where she's like seducing people as part of like the plan and it's never portrayed as like oh well she's not pretty enough to do it or she's too big to do it um and i i I really appreciated that you know because it kind of makes you challenge your your worldview that you realize is is given to you by the media mm-hmm. um and it's like I, I i'm i'm glad that this was you know that she you know that the author has specifically said no she's she's not skinny she is a larger yeah. girl <laughs> she's fat like me well that's the thing that make, it makes you think of too like not me specifically i mean i am a chubbo don't get me wrong but like lee said that she was also you know um, yeah lee said that she was fat like her um but like um it makes me think of, like, the way class works in these books, though. Yeah. Because all of the characters are described as being, like, thin or ropey or, like, hard. Oh, that's... Nina yeah. is very soft. Wylan is also described as cherubic and yeah. soft. Because they're the ones upper- who are richer. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Wylan is upper class. Nina had been upper class in Ravka. She was a member of the Little Army. You know, like, she was trained as a Grisha in a place called the Little Palace. Like, you know, she does not think of uh, sort of the world in the same way they do and neither does Wylan. Yeah. And I'm wondering about, because like you were talking about how Lee had books on Amsterdam and her research, I'm wondering about the time period because it used to be that people who were larger were more attractive because they had yeah. money, you know? So that might be part of the cultural sort of value that they're working within. Well, of course Nina's sexy and of course Nina's going to do everything. People will look at her and think that she's rich. She can afford waffles. (laughs) She can afford take me out for waffles. Yeah. 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 Um, And then we have Matthias who has no chill. (laughs) He's from the coldest place and he has no chill. (laughs) Think for a place from Scandinavia, he can pick up a little chill, but he never does. Like, he comes out of the gate fucking swinging. <laughs> he, yeah, literally chokes a yeah. girl or <laughs> fights a wolf and then chokes Nina. And you're like, oh, crap, what happened with them? <laughs> like, oh, I guess this is where this is going. Uh. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Ty's story is fascinating to me because he's, I mean, he's very much like all of the characters sort of start seeing the world differently than they had. But he very specifically, they're breaking into his home and his way of life yeah. that he uses. And he has to look at that now and think, oh, it's it's wrong. You're yeah. all wrong. Like, there's a be... moment. Go ahead. I was going to say, there's a moment where he looks at the recruits for the Drew Scala, like the, the younger boys coming in and the boys he came up with. And he's, you know, like, he thinks like they're boys, but they're monsters. Yeah. Like, they're doing horrible things in the name of. Uh, our God and what we've been brought up to do. Yeah, I he was uh, he was written so well because he could have easily been the antagonist, and you felt for him. You understood why he was doing the things that he was doing, um, but you also understood Nina and the things that she was doing. Um, and their love story could have been really trite and just like not mm-hmm. had any weight. But like immediately from the beginning, I was just like okay, I need to know more about what happened with you guys and I need you to kiss. <laughs> it's two very Please, important things. Of God. <laughs> yeah. Just get it over with. You'll be able to be happier after you do that. <laughs> we'll all be happier. Please. Thank yes. you. No, I, the way, um, the way the tension between them is played out and especially uh, in the flashbacks where it's just the two of them alone trying to fucking survive. Yeah. You know, like, and and they realize that when they get to the end of wherever they're going, one of them is probably going down. Yeah. Um, but they still come to understand each other and sort of cling to each other, which is a thing that takes more of a shape. And and you know, in the in the central timeline of the book, where they get more time together. But watching that slow sort of turn yeah. is really satisfying, honestly. Yes. Um, and then we have Wylan, who is the runaway merchling, who is also needs to get kissed. (laughs) Um, it was funny because, um, so I initially, uh, DM'd you and was like, please tell me that Kaz and Jasper make out. And you were like, no. And I was like, oh, man. And I'm like, Nancy, I, 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 I respect you. <laughs> and I was like, well, Kale said there was like, there was gay stuff in this book. So and then, I, and then I had my gaydar out. And then I was like, oh, Jesper and Wylan. <laughs> so then well, I was I- like watching throughout. And then like, there's the whole part where there's like, they're in the ice core and they're trying to get out. And he's like, he's like, says Jasper says something like go flirt with some girls and Jasper and Wylan goes just girls he's like no not just girls <laughs> also like the, the, when when Wylan talks about like the reasons his father hates him yeah. and when his father stopped talking to him and he very specifically tells I don't know if it's just Jess I can't remember it's just Jess for at that point or, or some other people very specifically tells them that he uh, humped an ambassador's yeah. left, which I'm assuming is, is not literally what he did, but he yeah. made a pass at a at male prominent figures at this ball, and his father was not pleased with it. Yeah. And, like, it's sort of, I mean, not refreshing. It's terrible. It's sort of turns the script on its head a bit that his father kicked him out for not being able to read, not his yeah. sexuality. Yeah. You sort of get the idea that 
the sexuality is a thing that that could be hidden. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he can't read cannot. Yeah. Um. But I also like, you know, we, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, diversity in regards to the sexualities of the characters. But that again, it's never presented as like that it's weird or wrong or abnormal um that you know the characters aren't straight they just they just are and you know for a fantasy novel that that's another thing where you know they have a tendency to be straight and male all the time (laughs) so it was nice to not have that and also like it's never thought of as weird that jesper likes both boys and girls like it's it's not even remarked upon. It just is. Yeah. In the same way. No, yeah, like it's just part of their character. Like they're like, oh, them. They're flirty. You yeah. know, and you sort of get the, the sense that like the rest of the gang have had to live through this before. Yeah. And are like and this could it's be just calm down. and it's you know it's a gang it could very much be written as oh no we can't have the 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 gay guy in here you know but it's they don't care um yeah and i appreciated that and like you know when wyland is you know like flirting with you know when when they have that whole exchange it's never like oh you mean you like boys too it's just oh okay <sighs> that's my least favorite conversation in anything ever and i think just <laughs> as a bisexual human like i get sort of like bored whenever someone is like oh you mean you can also yes you can like everyone (laughs) and there's a sort of discourse in fandoms about Mm -hmm. like saying the words like say the word bisexual say the word gay and like i think because i'm older i don't necessarily need the words said but i need the actions to be there i need i can't just have you say oh well that character's bi but it never came up the fact that both nina and jesper explicitly say you know no not just girls and oh i don't just flirt with men you know like yeah it's it's very yeah i feel like people i feel like like when people talk about oh this character needs to be canonically bisexual they you like automatically go to you either need to say the word like have someone stand up and declare themselves bisexual (laughs) or they need (laughs) on a table yes (laughs) i am bisexual or you need to have them like actively with a male and a female at the same in the same story which isn't always realistic especially if people are in a monogamous relationship or just you know aren't the type to be into multiple people at the same time um yes (laughs) shocking i know as i look at my ring finger (laughs) Yeah, no, I was in that relationship with 13 years for a dude, it happens. Um, But yeah, I don't, I mean, I think, I think it kind of tires me out sometimes because so often it gets played out at this, Mm -hmm. it's this very like strut and this is the motions that we have to go to to prove to everyone in the back that this character likes, likes both. And really like you can just exist in your life, like people just exist every day i'm not walking mm-hmm. down the street like making finger guns at literally everyone <laughs> <laughs> toby mcguire like... style <laughs> oh, God. no don't do that we'll have to have an intervention for that <laughs> come to boston and make me 
But yeah, I don't like I really like love the way that it's done in the books. I love Jesper Nina's characters. I love that at no point, even though they're flirty, they're seen as oversexed. Yeah. Or sexuality is the large part of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I as a as a writer, I I have that problem because I want it to be clear in the books that I write that these characters are, you know, whatever they are. Um and, and sometimes the character isn't doesn't have a relationship. Um and you're like, all right, how do I get in here that this character um is by if they're not in any sort of romantic relationship? <laughs> um and you know or how do I put this in here that isn't completely cliche? So I liked that it was, you know, it it was a moment, it happened, it was funny, and then they moved on. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the final character isn't really um, part of the gang in this book, but he's in more of the next book, and that's Kue, who is um, the son of the man they are going to... Uh, rescue Bo Yul Bayor, who is they find out he's dead. Kuei is his son, and they take him because they think you know he says he can replicate the param, so they bring mm-hmm. him back instead. Um, and he is you know, you don't really learn much about him. Um, he's also a Grisha, um, so he has a vested interest in you know making sure that none of the countries get this power. And um, uh, Nina, at the end, tailors Wylan while she's under the effects of Param to make him look like Kue, um, so they can, um, you know, have Van Eck think that uh, they're bringing Kue to him, and it's actually Wylan. And that's such a good moment where he's like, pay, pay up. <laughs> I told you he wouldn't care about me. <laughs> The moment when, like, Vanek realizes that his son, who he thought he was good for literally nothing, has one-upped him in a way. Like, he just implodes and it's amazing like i want like especially the way uh wylan is written throughout the book which is more like more understated than the rest of the characters like the rest of the characters are very obviously in this gang and know each other and have history and all this stuff and wylan's the newest one because Mm -hmm. kaz picked him up off the street because he was like oh look a tiny merchling child that will be useful later yeah (laughs) sort of put him over here um so he, like, a lot of his interactions are him very, fr- especially with Jesper, him being very frustratedly trying to get across the point that he is not who everyone thinks he is. Like, like you like you keep calling me Merchling. You keep calling me soft. You keep saying all these things. And, like, I have my own mind. I'm my own human, which is not a thing that his father ever saw in him. It's, like, his father thought that he couldn't read, therefore he must be an idiot and good for nothing, even though he's he draws beautifully he writes music he does all of these brilliant things but he's bad at reading and you sort of get the sense that maybe he's dyslexic or something where it was hard for him to learn to read no one took the time to help him yeah um and that ultimate moment sort of at the end of the book where you get this like moment that he has orchestrated that he went to Kaz and said look I don't want you to go into this blind my father does not give a shit about me that's not going to help you here's a thing that we can do like 
it's sort of him finally coming into his own. Yeah. And I I haven't gotten to the end of the second book, but like as much as Kaz has now a grudge for Van Eck, I really want Wylan to be the one to take him down <laughs> because he deserves it because his father was terrible to him and is terrible and just sucks. <laughs> he does deserve it. Jan Van Eck is a terrible human being. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, we've been talking for a while, but we still, Sorry. so, no, I, I told you this is going to be the longest book we did. I just have a lot of feelings, you I guys. I too, and there's so much going on in this book. So, there are some relationships and love. <laughs> there's, um, Jesper and Wylan, like we talked about, um, who you just want to smoosh together, and they're so cute together. Um, I God, the moment when Jesper realizes that it it's Wylan who looks like Kuei. Yeah. And he's like, and, Oh, you've been standing next to me the whole time. Yeah, like it's because Kuwei, like on the ship back, Kuwei had been coming to stand next to him but not talking to him. Yeah. And Jesper's sort of like, How many of those how many of those times was you? And Wylan's like, All of them. But like he gets so mad and Wylan's like, What's wrong? It's just my face. And Jesper's literal line is maybe I liked your stupid face. Like in a book where there's so much like beautiful language and like things are described, you know, very sort of metaphorically and like characters are saying one thing and meaning another. Sometimes Jesper's literally like, I liked your face, asshole. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It was cute. Um, Matthias and Nina, who just need to get over it. And like, I love how, I love how she has like, like, she wants to, like, like, she just wants to ruffle his feathers, and he's just so mm-hmm. stoic. <laughs> it's great. It's so great. <laughs> she thinks it's cute. It's I like know, she and she keeps just... trying to get him to crack, and he's like, what are you doing? You're so improper. Oh my god. Ah. <laughs> it's like she owns a stuffy cat. She's just I gonna know. Teach it to, <laughs> to hunt one day. <laughs> Um, and then you have Kaz and Inej, who um, don't really have much happen between them in this book, but do in the next book. And uh, they are just like, they're, they're just so screwed up, both of them. <laughs> Kaz especially. And I'm just like, oh my God, you guys, just stop. <laughs> I love like, that's the thing that's very fascinating to me. As a person who sometimes has a problem with touch, um, mm-hmm. just for very specific reasons, but like because of his trauma, like he has a problem touching people and he has a problem being touched. And he will want, you can tell, he wants to touch Inez. He wants to reach out. He wants her to look at him in a way that makes him feel special. And there's a bit in the end where she puts a hand on his cheek and he like, like, like he, like she can tell he wants to pull away, but he's not doing it. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, he is trying his hardest right now, Mm. but it's not the kind of relationship that she wants. And it's Mm. heartbreaking. Like, I'm just like, no, you 
god. You know, she deserves better. They all do. <laughs> you just want them all to be happy. I know. Um, and there are several antagonists in this book. Um, Pekka Rollins is sort of like the the main grudge for Kaz. Um, and also he's one of the people who holds grudges, who holds depths for Kat, for Jesper. Um, and one of the thing I like about this, the, the series is that each character seems to have like their own personal antagonist. Like Pega Rollins is, seems to be it for Kaz and Jesper. Um, then you've also get uh, Jarl Broom, who is obviously Nina's, but then also Matthias because he crosses him in the end. Um, Tanta Helene is Inej's, you know, anta- antagonist. And then Van Eck is, you know, everyone's, but more, most specifically, Wyland. Um, and I liked how, because it made it it made the stakes very um, personal, uh-huh. you know, when it could just be like, oh yeah, we have to save the world from the param, and you're like, oh, okay, well that's interesting, but you know, there's there's stakes because Nina is a Grisha, you know, and then you find out, oh Jesper is too, and they'll want to use him, um, and they try to come after them, um, you know, so it's it's. You know, I it it's done very. It's a very good study of how to create small and large stakes. All of the relationships in this book are so good, even the antagonistic ones. Like yeah. they're just written like you. Like they're written like they're very comfortably have thirty years of history. Yeah, that you could know. You know, <laughs> it's so good. Um, so we're gonna get into the Crooked Kingdom talk for a little bit. So if you don't want to know anything about the book, skip ahead to the end. Um, but we're not gonna we're not gonna talk much about spoilers because I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> but um, I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> but so th- for the second book is um, you know basically takes off from where the first ends. You know that the first thing they have to do is get Inej back, and then they have to screw Van Eck over, and um, you know they go to Pekka Rollins for um help um and you know uh and but he ends up screwing them over as well um so it's kind of like kaz and the gang versus the entire city (laughs) and the entire world (laughs) um and so it takes it goes from like a very you know small you know focused story of getting into the ice court and getting out to um, you know, having to fix all the problems they made in the first book, pretty much. Consequences? Imagine that! Right? And, like, Nina, you know, she she manages to survive the param, but she is, like, goes through horrible withdrawals, and then her power is different, which is super interesting. Um, because, you know... It, it could have just I, I was afraid at first it was just going to be blown off and then I'm like oh no good I'm so glad that they're they're keeping this mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so um do you do you have a preference for which book you like the best or does it do you just think of it as one story I think I think of it as one story yeah I probably have a little bit um more 
of an attachment to Six of Crows, I think, just because it's the first one I read. Like, you know how often, like, yeah. when you have a favorite band, the first album is the one that you love the most. Yeah. Um, like, the first one that you listen to. So I think it's that sort of thing. But also because it's the book that establishes all of these relationships that you go on to care so much about. Yeah. Um, like, the stakes in Crooked Kingdom are very high and it's a very stressful book it is it's so stressful (laughs) like it's like at one point i think they're like zombies like it's kind of insane and i endure every minute of it yeah yeah it's it's really good and i'm 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 glad we got to learn more about the characters we got more of the world building and um yeah i'm i I need to finish (laughs) Oh, that's that's the other thing that I was telling you that I love about Crooked Kingdom so much is that like in the first book, you're like, oh, they're all children, but you'd forget about it because there's no confidence. In the second book, Jasper's dad shows up to find out what the fuck is going on with his son who hasn't written home in six months or whatever. And all of a sudden there's an adult there. And you're like, oh, they are all children because Jasper's dad shows up and is literally like, oh, my God, go to your room, all of you. Yeah. And I really love that they get into this idea that maybe one of the reasons that Jesper has a problem with gambling is because he's been hiding his Grisha powers. Um, Because they like they go into the fact like that Grisha who don't use their powers like get weak and like it actually like strengthens them to use their powers. And like he's always described as being restless and having to move around and fidgeting. Um, And, you know, if you know, if there's a moment when Wyland's just like, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Just sit still. And then they make out, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) If you sit still for 10 minutes, I will kiss you. Please just do this thing. Yeah. There's also, I think one of the first descriptions of Jesper in the first book, though, is that like, I forget who looks at him, but he says he's like, he's built like a stork, which is I think my favorite description (laughs) of Jesper, because not only is it very like, like, yes, he's tall and lean and sort of elbowy, but like, you sort of like, can then envision him, you know, like, ruffling and ticking and like, moving his legs and trying to like, figure out how to stand in a body and be still. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good story. <laughs> Such good stories. Good job, Lee Bardugo. Yeah. You're so good. She is. Good four for you, Lee Bardugo. Four <laughs> for you. All right. Any last thoughts of these assholes? <laughs> I just really love all of them. <laughs> Me too. Although I want to smack Kaz sometimes. <laughs> and Kue when God. he's pretending to be Wylan. shit. He did it on purpose. He did. He did. <laughs> it's a spoiler for the second book. Spoilers, Kuei can be a little shit. <laughs> yes. I mean, he's, he's been great. spending too much time with the others. <laughs> he really he picks things up very quickly yeah. and Yeah. I'm glad. All right. Well, thank you, KL, so much for joining me for this discussion. It was super fun. Yes, thank you for having me back. Anytime you want to read another book, I absolutely adore. I'm here for it. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So this episode of the Tashi Station Book Club has been brought to you by you, our Patreon subscribers. Please click the links on the blog to help us support the show. 
and you can find us on Twitter with the handles Tashi underscore station. My account is Nancy Pants. That's Nancy with an I. And KL, where can people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter as Mombi, M-O-M-E-B-I-E. Um, and I also uh, write. Um, so I have a Twitter and a um, blog under my, my sort of pen name, which is Lara, L-A-R-A, Eckner, E-C-K-E-N-E-R. Awesome. You can also find our columns and news at Tashi-Station.net and our book club discussions over on Goodreads. And if you do uh, support us on Patreon, we also discuss a lot of the books in our Slack channel. So thank you all again for joining us. And we will be back next month to discuss Barbary Station by R.E. Stearns. Bye! Ciao!